Welcome to the Grace Vineyard Podcast, where we are building growing communities of worshipers who are becoming like Christ, empowered to do His work. We hope you enjoy this message. I have a suspicion, and I could be wrong, but you know, um, when we're doing this thing where we're listening and thinking that God sometimes speaks, that we um, sometimes aren't exactly certain of what we think we're hearing. But I had a suspicion that some people have, are either listening to us um, online, hi, or you're in the building somewhere, and that you... Um, You've been thinking about Jesus. You've been considering choosing to become a follower of his. And that it's time. Like right now. Like it's time to stop fooling around and just make the decision. Today's my day. I'm going. I've thought about it. Um, I've considered it. I've been paying attention to what Christians are saying. I've been thinking about who Jesus is. And I think it's time for me to to bend my knee. You know, if you bend your knee before uh, like a king, what you're saying is uh, you're really in charge, right? If you bend your knee, you take the... Did you see um, the Avengers when Loki made them all bend their knee? <laughs> he was wanting them to say, I- I'm in charge. And they were like, no. They stood up and said, no, you're not in charge. In this case, I, f- I feel like it's time for some of you, and you would know this. You've been actually thinking about it that it's time to bend your knee to Jesus to be your Lord, that you're going to find life, the life you've been looking for all your life, is found in bending your knee, making him Lord and you not Lord anymore. Does that make sense? Him Lord, you not Lord anymore. And I, I just had a sense, if I'm right, that some of you don't need to hear a sermon again. You don't need to hear someone convince you again about why Jesus is the Son of God, why he died for your sins, why he rose from the dead. You've heard it. You've contemplated it. You've thought, maybe one day I'll become one of those Christians. Um, and I, th- I think some of, at least one or two people in my voice, possibly, if I'm hearing this right, you're ready. Don't waste any more time. So if that's you and you are here and today's your day, all you need to do is have an exchange with God that basically says, I give up. <laughs> you're in charge. I give you my life. You're the boss now. I believe, I believe enough about Jesus to trust you with my life. Does that make sense? So if you are here, you're hearing me, and you're like, yeah, he's talking about me, um, do this right now. Just take care of this particular business with the Lord. And um, I'll lead you in some kind of prayer, but what's important is, is not words, but a posture of heart that is like a bended knee that says, I'm giving my life, my rights. I'm giving lordship of my life to Jesus Christ. So do it like this. Pray, talk in your heart, out loud, however you want, something like this. Jesus, I want to follow you. I give you my life. 
I want you to be Lord. I want you to take over. I don't know everything about you, but I know enough to trust you. Please come into my life. And help me to live with you and for you forever. Amen. Um, when, when, when I was doing, when I was sort of leading that prayer just a second, I, I, I felt this, uh, I, you may have seen my smile, <laughs> I felt this uh, moment when um, I, I led in prayer like this, please come into my life that someone literally that moment felt that burst of life that comes inside a person when they give their life to Jesus. Did anyone, have you ever experienced that? You gave your life to Jesus and something changed. It was not like a religious thing. It was like something changed. Something came alive in you and you know it's different. Um, so if, if you just did that thing that I just led you in, I would love to talk with you about it and um, I'd ask you to get in contact with me. I think the guys can put that phone number up on the screen again. And um, uh, you can say almost anything and I'll find you. But if you text that number, especially with the word commit, I'll be hearing that you're saying, I'm committing my life to Jesus today. And I'd love to talk with you more. That's all. Okay, we can go home now. No, <laughs> actually... I want to teach some Bible. Hi, Michelle. Good to see you. I love you guys. What a great group of people. So, um, what is today? The 15th. A few weeks ago, what was it, four weeks ago or so was Easter? Can you believe it's already passed by? So, the week after Easter, I think it was the was Easter on the 17th, and then on the 24th on Sunday? It doesn't matter. I just remember that I began talking to you with this title, Living in the Light of Easter. Do you, do you remember that? And, and the idea was something like this. Um, after the events of Easter weekend, when Jesus died on a cross and rose from the dead on Sunday morning, his disciples were anything but like a dream team. His followers, to a person, didn't understand that he said he would die. They were totally caught off guard, even though he'd been telling them, I am going to be handed over to the Roman people who are going to put me on a cross and kill me. None of them got it. Not a one of his disciples believed that he would rise from the dead. Not any of them. They were all completely taken off guard when he showed up. And it was like, I've, I rose from the dead like I said I would. That not one of them believed it. They um, were disillusioned, they were disappointed, they were fearful. He sometimes would meet with them over the next, you know, days and weeks and confront them and say, why are you so slow to believe? What is wrong with you? Basically, he was talking like with them. Do you remember this? But something changed over the course of time. And within weeks, months, and early years, the the mission of Jesus was actually working through these guys and girls, through these people. So much so that 
by the second or third generation, in other words, not, I don't mean like 40, 80 years, I mean like I told this person about Jesus and they received him, and then this person told this person, that'd be third generation. By third, fourth generation, um, a team of people that are going around the world, the known world, the Roman Empire, get to a place, I think it was Thessalonica, a city, and the locals were so upset that they were present, they went to the city officials and said, those people that are turning the world upside down have arrived here. So they went from not believing anything, fearful, hiding, disillusioned, confused, no faith, to the people that turned the world upside down. So that's what we started talking about, living in the light of Easter. And um, one of the things, we said a couple of things. We looked at the story of Thomas, who just absolutely wouldn't believe. We looked at the story of Peter, who had betrayed or denied that he even knew Jesus, even though he was supposedly the leader of the bunch. And he'd gone back to fishing. He'd, like, he'd given up. And we noticed that a couple of things that we tried to figure out. What's going on with them? Oh, why am I talking about this? Oh, because... I thought maybe the church in America is at somewhat of a similar place. Confused, disillusioned, fearful, wondering what the future holds, not knowing what the future holds, having some lack of faith. And we're like, could we learn from these guys? So we looked at um, the story of Peter where Jesus met with him and reaffirmed their relationship. He asked him, Peter, do you love me? That's all he asked. Do you love me? Well, then get back to work. Feed my sheep. We talked about just having a restoration of relationship. Thomas was another one. We looked at his story. He was one of the disciples, one of the apostles, but he didn't believe it. He wasn't in the room the first time Jesus showed up on Sunday night of Easter weekend. So when they told him, Jesus is alive, he's like, I don't believe it. Not until I put my hand in the side, in the hole in his side, you know, not until I put my fingers in the holes in his hands. Well, the next week, you'll remember, um, Jesus met with Thomas and said, Thomas, come on. Okay, go ahead, put your hand in. Go ahead, here's my, and put your fingers in. He said, stop doubting. And we put it like this. What the people received was a fresh revelation of Jesus that inspired their faith to be returned to the first things. And they also had a fresh a renewal of their relationship with Jesus. And we said, those are probably a couple of basic things that we can expect in our lives. You with me? Remember, are you remembering any of this? Okay, good. Well, last week was the, the third week of, in that time, but we didn't talk about that. We talked about Mother's Day. We actually talked about the power of praying moms and um, some things that we can learn from moms who pray and change things. Remember that? Now, I wanted to talk about that, whether it was Mother's Day or not, because I wanted to talk about prayer, because that's the third thing that I see in the story that really changes things. But here's what we said about prayers and praying and moms who pray. Last week, we said, moms who pray and change things. By the way, I'm a victim of, I mean, a, <laughs> not a victim, but a recipient of a praying mom. My mom used to meet with another friend. Uh, my mom passed away in 1990, so it's been a while, but her friend is still alive, and I bump into her occasionally. They used to meet and pray for me, and I'm a direct result of them praying for me. I'm a pastor because of them praying for me, right? So they, um, we said, moms who really pray this way know that prayer changes the course of history, and we said, too, they know about persevering in prayer because very often the thing that's in God's heart to do that he's waiting for us to pray for, 
takes a long time to accomplish, and the people of God need to pound the gates of heaven, so to speak, with prayer, prayer, prayer. Sharon was talking today when we were praying for um, um, people in Muslim nations, Muslim nations, how things really begin to change when people begin to call on the Lord in prayer much more than ever before, and, and thousands and tens of thousands of Muslims are putting their faith in Messiah Isa, they would call him Jesus. Um, so they knew how to persevere. And then the third word was that weird word, importunity. Do you remember that? Some of you? Importunity is, sounds like important, sounds like opportunity. Importunity is an attitude of boldness that is shameless and doesn't care about proprietary, a propriety about um, being polite. It's, it's that aggressive, I need this answer. And you pound on the door and Jesus really taught that we ought to have importunity in our prayers. So I think I said this, but I'll say it if I didn't. Prayer is one, if not the most under Underrealized, overlooked weapons for warfare in the spirit, resources for enforcing the victory of the cross. On the cross, Jesus brought a victory over sin and over Satan. We who come into life in Jesus, if you came into life in Jesus this, this morning, you've just entered an army. We are called to enforce Jesus' victory on the cross in our world, in our time. Satan is fighting against that victory. He's a defeated foe, but he's not moved, removed from the picture yet. He will be someday. And one of the most effective and overlooked resources is prayer. We, when we understand that God, who is sovereign and who is Lord of all, has chosen in his sovereignty to partner with people, often through the means of prayer, that he sometimes even withholds doing what he wants to do until his people pray. We realize prayer is really, really essential. Did that make sense, what I just said? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to dive into that a little more. We are in a season of prayer. Thanks, um, Dustin, for that word that he shared a moment ago during worship. But it seems very clear to anyone who's paying attention to just this congregation, what's happening in our life, is the Holy Spirit himself is leading us into more and more prayer. So we've spent a few weeks after church, actually two, um, praying and fasting for about an hour. We're going to do that today. After church ends, we're going to come in here, and we're, we're going to stay in here, or we're going to leave and come back. And we're going to spend an hour, we're going to fast from lunch, and we're going to pray. We're going to seek God's will. Um, there's some reasons, but I, I want to just look at some, some stories in the history of the church, especially the very beginnings of what those disciples who were disillusioned and fearful and, uh, and not knowing what, to, disbelieving, what prayer did in their lives. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes and open our hearts to understand your purposes and your resources for us to live in. We might begin to understand what a prayer-empowered life would look like. Come and speak to us. We open our hearts to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. 
Amen. So I, I just want to say this. Did you know that the church was birthed in a prayer meeting? The church, the church of Jesus Christ was birthed in a prayer meeting. So this is reading from the Bible, the history book, Acts chapter 1. After Jesus died, resurrected, spent 40 days encountering, teaching the disciples, after that period was over and he returned into the heavens, this happened. They returned, that's the disciples, to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, about a Sabbath day's walk, in other words, it was just a few miles. When they arrived, they went upstairs into the room where they were staying. Those present were, well, the names of all these disciples, Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, Zealot, Judas, son of James. That didn't probably matter. Those guys. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. And a little later in the, in the um, writing, it says there were about 120 of them. So there's some large house, 120 people in a prayer meeting, praying, constantly praying. Now remember, they're fearful, they're disillusioned, they don't believe hardly, or they're starting to believe, and they're going to change the world. They're going to change the world. They've had a fresh revelation of who Jesus is. They've freshly committed to loving him passionately. And out of that loving passion, doing the mission that he called them to. Here's what happened, Acts 2, on the, when the day of Pentecost came. So that's a Jewish festival. They're in the room. There's 120 of them. They're still praying. It's been 10 days now of constant praying. It's a long prayer meeting. I assume they had dinner breaks, you know, but they kept coming back and praying. When the day of Pentecost, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Some of you have heard this story before, miraculous, crazy story. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them, and everything changed from that point on. Everything changed. They became world changers as they sought the Lord in prayer. Now, just for context, Jesus had told them, I'm going to send the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. He's going to empower you. It was just earlier in the, in the book, Acts chapter 1, on one occasion while Jesus was eating with them. So the time would be Jesus has died. He's risen from the dead. He's not returned yet to heaven. He's meeting with the disciples on and off for a period of 40 days. On one of those occasions... While he was eating with them, he gave them this command, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. So you'll receive power to be my witnesses. If I don't have effectiveness in my being a witness of Jesus, it's because I don't have power. So maybe I need to pray more, because prayer changes the course of history. And sometimes you have to persevere in prayer. You need to push, pray until something happens. You need to push and pray with boldness and call on God. That's what we're going to do this afternoon. We're going to be praying God empowers with your Holy Spirit. We want to do the mission of Jesus. We want to bring hope to our world. And where we lack, we know that it comes from you. Give us power. Give us effect. So Jesus said this will happen, so they went into a prayer meeting. Are you with me? 
I think this can happen in our day. So he said, you'll receive power, you'll be my witnesses to the rest, to the ends of the world. And you gotta, when you hear that, you've got to think a few things. One, these people are just like me. They're just as fearful as me, only they're probably more fearful. And they're not nearly as sophisticated as you. Just about none of them even know how to read. They're uneducated. They're blue-collar workers. They're fishermen. And they're in a small, podunk little place. And they're, and they're in an oppressed place. They're a minority people in the Roman world. And yet they're told that they're going to take the message of Jesus to the ends of the world. It's an impossible task. It's a ridiculous statement. What Jesus just said to them was absurd. There is no way these few people are going to change the world. But yet, in not too long, it is said of these people and their other people that they've brought into this relationship with Jesus, the people that have turned the world upside down have arrived here. This is what you and I can experience, I think. Well, they preach on that day a little later after the day where the Holy Spirit fell on them. Peter gets up and preaches. He's no longer fearful. He stands with boldness and tells the message of Jesus. And here's what happened. Those who accepted Peter's message were baptized. And in a moment, about 3,000 people were added to their number. They went from 120 to 3,000. And those 3,000 people, what did they do? They continued praying. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Just the very same kind of stuff that we can do. I like the breaking of bread part. (laughs) But they prayed. So in the coming days, some miracles happened and persecution came against them. I don't know if you've ever had persecution, but it's a really good sign. If you're pursuing God and people are um, pushing against you for pursuing God, that's a good sign. So what did they do when persecution came? They prayed. Here's a portion of their prayer. This is, you know, the fourth chapter, so it's not very far into Acts. Now, Lord, consider their threats, the people that are coming against us, who are saying, you better stop telling people about Jesus, or we're going to come against you. And they were authority figures that had the power to throw them in jail. The kind of people that would stamp a Bible and say, not for people from our country, that Sharon was telling us about. Persecution came. They said, Lord, consider those threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness, which is amazing. They didn't say, Lord, consider their threats and protect us from them. They said, consider their threats and enable us to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal Perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They didn't retreat. They went on the offensive. They went into spiritual war with more prayer. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They had already been filled with the Holy Spirit at the beginning of of two chapters ago. But they get filled again. We could use some refilling. I could use some refilling. And the, the focus of all of these prayer meetings was empowerment to fulfill the mission of Jesus. Empowerment to fulfill the mission of Jesus. They understood that what they were about was really important for the course of world history. What you're about, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're bringing his message of hope and healing and restoration for broken lives, what you're about is super important for the world. I mean, don't miss it. This world that we live in has come under the influence of an evil usurper named Satan. 
He was defeated at the cross, but his defeat needs to be enforced by the people of God who then go to people that have been ruined by Satan's lies and his addictions and his temptations and his sin, lives that have been destroyed. And we come with a message that says you can now easily enter into God's kingdom and start to have the kind of life you've always dreamed of, of love and joy and peace and hope and faith, restored relationships, freedom from the prisons you've been in your needs met, wholeness, healthy marriage. I mean, just everything about life, we have that message. Okay, so we want to pray for that. The number one strategy of churches who fulfill the mission of Jesus is prayer. I have, I've, personally, I've missed that. I've been in strategy meetings. <laughs> I've, I've tried to come up with mission statements and vision statements and plans for events. The number one strategy needs to always be prayer. And I don't know if we believe that yet, but maybe we'll, <laughs> we'll get into that. In, in church history, um, prayer is considered by historians always to come before moments of what are called revival. Revival is language to describe unusual workings of God's Spirit, where many, many, many unusual numbers of people come into relationship with Jesus. Many people are revived and invigorated um, across cities, across nations sometimes. That happened, what we just read, that happened when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the birth of the church. That was a revival time. But throughout history, this has happened. Um, and I wanted to read something from someone's journal from the 1700s. Uh, a really well-known revival that changed the course of the world was called the Great Awakening. I think I mentioned it a couple weeks ago, the Great Awakening, that changed the course of American history, changed especially New England, changed England where thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people were added to the body of Christ. It was remarkable. And you can read about it on history.org. You can read about it on Wikipedia, or you can read about it on Christian sites. Everyone knows there was something called the Great Awakening where something miraculous happened. Um, there were three um, people that were really known um, to be leaders in this, a guy named John Wesley, a guy named Charles Wesley, his brother, a guy, a guy named George Whitfield. They were English. There were a number of others. Jonathan Edwards comes to mind. But um, that, that revival, you know, Princeton, Rutgers, Brown, and Dartmouth universities were all established as a result of the Great Awakening, the Ivy League schools, to create missionaries. I don't know if you knew that about your history. All of those places were an overflow, so, so revival changes culture. Here's John Wesley's journal. They'd been struggling and having very little effect, no power in his witnessing. But he and those two other guys, Charles and George Whitfield, and 60 other people would meet and pray and meet and pray and meet and pray and meet and pray. And he writes, in his journal on January 1st, 1739, about three in the morning, 
as we were continuing, he uses kind of ancient language, instant in prayer, the power of God mightily came upon us insomuch that many cried out for exceeding joy. So there's like a little over 60 people, three in the morning praying. And many fell to the ground. As soon as we recovered a little from that awe and amazement at the presence of his majesty, we broke out with one voice. We praise thee, O God. We acknowledge thee to be Lord. So they had their own Pentecost. That was January 1st, 1739. George Whitfield, one of the guys, I think he was 22 at the time, came to the colonies. He arrived a little later in seven, on September 14th, 7, 1740. He preached at First Church in Boston. So many people came by the power of the Spirit that in a little church, you can picture a little church, there were 8,000 people outside. 8,000 people came to hear the gospel. Um, by October 20th, so that's six days later, 30,000 people came to hear him preach in Boston. 30,000, no PA. It's estimated that 20 to 50,000 new members were added to the New England churches. Now, that's revival, but it started in prayer. Is that interesting to you, by the way? If you, if you read history of revivals, you discover people were pushing, praying until something happened in prayer meetings, calling on God, pounding on the doors of heaven, persevering, saying, Lord, send your spirit. Lord, make us powerful witnesses. Lord, do your work. Lord, use us. Lord, come. Prayer is the number one strategy. Well, as, as I was reading and thinking about, okay, we've got some history. The church was birthed in prayer. We probably ought to keep going. Maybe what happened to those disoriented, disbelieving, fearful disciples can happen to me if I experience what they experience, if I have a renewed revelation of who Jesus is, if I have a refreshed commitment in relationship to Jesus and to my commitment to his calling, and if I follow their footsteps and devote myself to prayer, maybe I'll change. Anyone want to join me? In fact, we have seen in our church just a few prayer meetings where things are changing rapidly. There's fast answers to prayer. We're not even having to persevere. The answers are coming like that right now. So I think we're supposed to call into it. So, so the question that I then came up with, I didn't really come up with it. I just asked myself, and I want to ask you. So we're starting to believe that prayer is effective. I mean, some of us are starting to believe that, that God answers prayer, that we ought to pray. But probably not a ton of us believe that prayer is actually that necessary. And here's what I mean. There is a lot of people, there are a lot of people who think, well, God's God and he's going to do what he's going to do anyway, so it doesn't really matter what I do. That's a, a belief system that maybe not spoken, but it comes out often in conversations with people. Yeah, what's going to happen is going to happen because God's sovereign. God's will is going to be done. It's already determined in heaven. God already knows before it happens. So therefore, it doesn't matter really if we pray or not. And I want to tell you that I think that is wrong thinking. And I don't have time to read the whole Bible with us and all the stories. But if we go through the Bible and look at some stories where God responds to prayer, the evidence seems to be he wouldn't have if they had not prayed. Here's a problem for us. We often have trouble differentiating between 
foreknowledge, knowing the future, and controlling what the outcome will be. So picture my life here, a timeline, my past, my present, my future. I'm only in one place at a time on my timeline. God is not in time. God's out here, and he sees the end from the beginning. That's what the Word of God says. He is called the God who was, who is, and who is to come. Kind of hard to understand, but it appears to us that God is outside of time, and in some sense, he's present at all moments of time simultaneously. He's not constrained by time. He invented it for us. So, if I'm going to make a decision today, and I really have choice, I really have choice. I'm not a robot. I'm not controlled. I get to freely choose what I'm going to do today. God, who is outside of time, in my timeline back here, already knows what I'm going to choose to do. So he can tell me, if he wants to, the future. Does that mean that he controlled the future and my, and my choice didn't exist? I don't think so. I think free will stays intact, but God, who's greater than us and outside of time, can do things like prophesy stuff, tell us in the Bible what the end is going to be resulting like, but not because he's making us not have free will and we're just robots running a program. So that all is important regarding prayer. I think prayer matters. I think God in his sovereignty has chosen to partner with people like you and me who call on him, asking him to do what he already wants to do. He does know whether or not we will do the prayer, but that doesn't take away the fact that we need to choose to pray and call on him for what we understand his will is so that it's accomplished. I don't know if any of you believe me. But, okay, Daria and I. <laughs> this is personal for me because... Four years ago, when the Christian neurologist was talking with the panel of doctors, nurses, radiologists, about how it could be possible that after me having three massive strokes simultaneously, the new scan of my brain was in a way that it couldn't be medically impossible. And they were arguing and trying to explain how can this brain look like this when we have the scan of what it looked like a couple weeks ago, and that's impossible, the neurologist said, well, people around the planet were lifting this man to the Lord in prayer. The most obvious explanation is that God answered their prayer, and that's why this happened. So, so that's cool, but I have, <laughs> when I think about that, I wonder if you all hadn't prayed, would I not have this result? See? The prayer was important. The people, are, and they were around the planet. There were multiple nations, friends, praying for me in my time of need. I suspect that God responded to your prayers. And if you hadn't prayed, I might be in a wheelchair today. Not playing the piano. Not preaching. You see that? So back to the question, is prayer really necessary? I think it is. I think it's necessary to accomplish God's purposes, that God waits for a people who will pray. But he moves history. He moves people. He, now, he, I, I don't think he defeats our free will. He allows us to choose, but I think he defeats Satan's free will. 
<laughs> I think he won't violate people's free will, but he will violate the devil's free will. And he will stop him in his tracks and say, no, you can't do that. Which gives us effect in prayer when we're praying about spiritual things. Let's read some Bible. Oh, no, I want to read some people who believe what I believe, just to add some, some, some oomph to it. Here's Charles Spurgeon, great man of God, who wrote this. Whether we like it or not, asking is the rule of the kingdom. If you may have everything by asking in his name and nothing without asking, I beg you to see how absolutely vital prayer is. Charles Spurgeon, phenomenal pastor and preacher in the 1800s, literally had people in the basement of his church praying while he was preaching so that more people would respond and be saved. He so believed in prayer. Um, more, more local to our time, Jack Hayford, a great man of God, and Stormy O'Marty and a lady in his church who wrote a lot about prayer wrote this. Some people believe that God is going to do whatever he's going to do no matter what, so there's no reason to pray. But the truth is there are things God will not do on earth except in answer to prayer. Don't know if we should believe them or not, but I think the Bible would confirm that. John Wesley wrote this, God does nothing but an answer to prayer. He's the one who was a leader in the Methodist revival I was reading about. And even they who have been converted to God without praying for it themselves, which is exceeding rare, were not without the prayers of others. He thinks that everyone who comes to salvation got there by prayer. Every new victory which a soul gains is the effect of new prayer. E.M. Bounds, who was um, early in the last century, wrote a lot about prayer, influenced a lot of people with his theology. God has of his own motion placed himself under the law of prayer and has obligated himself to answer the prayers of men. He's ordained prayer as a means whereby he will do things through men as they pray, which he would not do otherwise. If prayer puts God to work on earth, then by the same token, prayerlessness rules God out of the world's affairs and prevents him from working. Wow, that's strong language. But God is still sovereign. But if you read the words of Jesus and the words of God speaking through the prophets in the Old Testament, you'll often hear him say, when you pray, I'll respond. Implication, if you don't pray, I'm not responding to anything. Prayer, I think, is not only effective, but is essential, is necessary. David in the Psalms writes this, Hear my prayer, O Lord, listen to my cry for mercy. In the day of my trouble, I will call to you, for you will answer me. David believed that God would answer prayer. James wrote in his work, You do not have because you do not ask God. Now, an interesting case study. How are you guys doing? You still with me? Interesting case study is um, the people of Israel as they were getting ready to go into captivity. So prophet Jeremiah says this. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you. and So they're going to be in captivity. Uh, I will fill my gracious promise to you and bring you back to this place, for I know the plans I have, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. Then... Watch the, the um, role of prayer. Then, in 70 years, you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. He's just telling the future. Here's what's going to happen. Your people are going to go into captivity for 70 years. Then you're going to call on me, 
And when you call on me, I'm going to respond. So this is the out of the timeline thing. You're going to pray, I'm going to respond, and I'll bring you back. But I'm going to bring you back out of response to your prayer. So you should pray. You, is this, am I blowing some minds? I don't know. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm watching your faces. <laughs> I will gather you from the nations. I will gather you back from the nations and place I have banished you. So in Daniel's story, Daniel is in this period 70 years later. Says this in Daniel's story, in the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah, which I just read to you, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting, in sackcloth and ashes. Daniel, man of God, reads a prophecy that there would be in captivity for 70 years and that they would then pray. So what does he do? He begins to pray. Have you read this story before? So Daniel doesn't say, this is so good news. We get out after 70 years. Let me go pack my bags. No, he turns his head and begins to pray that the thing that God said he wants to do will be done because Daniel understood that our prayers are a big part of what God does in the earth. We have a role. God in his sovereignty has chosen to partner with his people to accomplish his purposes. And prayer is an essential, important part of that process. God, forgive us for being prayerless. God, forgive us for not taking our role. Well, he began to pray. He prayed, now, God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, O Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. So God's temple in Jerusalem was desolate. No one was there. We're all here in Babylon. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Oh, Lord, listen. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, hear and act. This is a great model for prayer. Oh, Lord, hear and do something. For your sake, oh, my God, do not delay because of your city and the people that bear your name. Daniel, man of God, crying out to God, pounding the doors of heaven with perseverance and importunity. He's being bold. He's being shameless. In the book of Ezra, we read what happened in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia. In order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus. The Lord comes along and moves the heart of this pagan king, I believe, in response to prayer. And Cyrus, king of Persia, writes this out. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. Yahweh, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, He's appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem. Any one of his people among you, may God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem and Jeru in Judah and build the temple of the Lord God of Israel. This pagan king over the Israelites who are in captivity in exile says, you can go home and build the temple of God. Now, Jeremiah, the prophet, heard from God, who was out here in the past, telling Jeremiah, in the future, after 70 years, your people are going to be released when you call on me in prayer. Daniel, here. God's watching the whole thing, out of time. Praise. Ezra over here tells a story of, our, of Cyrus. Cyrus says, he's a pagan guy. He's not a follower of Yahweh. He says, Yahweh put me in charge, and I'm saying, go back and build your temple. Do you think prayer was important? 
Thank you, Kent, that you think prayer is worth. Yeah, he gave him the money, gave him the wood, gave him an army to build God's temple. It was crazy. Philippians, I'll end the time here. I see that it's quarter after. In everything. What does that mean? In everything. How much is that? No. In everything. What's the number one strategy for living? Prayer. In everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. In everything. In your job. Listen, I used to be a computer programmer, and I'd run into some really difficult problems that I could not figure my way through, and I would go to prayer. I would say, God, you're way smarter than me, and you understand computer science way more than I do. Give me the solution, and he'd give me the solution. Because in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts. Listen to one quote from E.M. Bounds, the guy that wrote so much about prayer. Satan has effectively disarmed us. Satan has effectively disarmed us when he can keep us too busy doing things to stop and pray. What a, what a strong word. Satan has won a battle. If he can get me so busy doing things, even good things, that I'm too busy to stop and pray. So, you know, my first question was, how did these disciples, disoriented, disbelieving, confused, fearful, how did they become the people that changed the world, resulting in us being followers of Jesus today? Well, they had a fresh revelation of who Jesus is. They put their faith in him. They stopped doubting and started believing again, which means to believe in Jesus is to trust him with my life. They trusted him. They renewed their relationship. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Out of their relationship of passionate love for Jesus, they got involved in the mission of Jesus. And they devoted themselves to pray, 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 until God poured out his spirit on them and empowered them to do the very thing that they were praying they would do in partnership with Jesus to fulfill the mission of Jesus in their time. And that's our story. And I'm sticking to it. Prayer, here's, here's the short Prayer is both effective and necessary. I'm hoping that this teaching, at least the portions of it that were from the Lord that were true and didn't have too much Ron in them, <laughs> are getting into our hearts and moving us to be a people of prayer who call on God a lot at noontime, at nighttime, on Monday night, tomorrow night in this building, this afternoon when I'm done here, Thursday at noon, in our homes, on Zoom on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday at 7, those of us that meet there, that we continue to recognize this is the main strategy for doing the thing that we think God has called us to do. It's the main strategy. We must pray. If we don't have effect, let's go pray. If things are not getting done, let's, if we're convinced that God's called us to do something and it's not happening, let's go pray. Let's go ask him, Lord, do the thing that we can't do. You have to do it. Boldly, perseveringly, if that's a word. Importunately, if that's a word. 
<laughs> I'll shut up now. Let's stand up. <laughs> Maybe the worship band can come up here. Folks, if you're in the building today and you need prayer for something, you have a need in your life, we're seeing God answer quickly. So let's pray for you. If you need healing, let's pray for you. If you need your relationships restored, let's pray for you. If you need money, let's pray for you. Let's bring our needs before the Lord. We have some people, I think, that are going to be on the sides here ready to pray in person for us um, in about a half an hour, less than a half an hour. I guess we take a five-minute break when it's all done. We come back for prayer. Lord, we, we stand before you. Lord, we want to be your people that you're so pleased with, that make you just a really happy daddy, that love you and love each other and love our world. We want all these, and we want to live in accordance with your ways. And if your ways are that we are to call on you, to ask you, plead with you, to urge you to do the things that you've said you want to do, then we want to do that. Make us a people of prayer. Jesus said, my house will be called a house of prayer. Lord, let this be a house of prayer. Let us be a people. Empower us to be a people who live empowered in our lives by prayer. We yield ourselves to you. Amen. May the Lord bless you people and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you rest. We hope you've enjoyed this message. This weekly podcast is available on our website, gracevcf.org, where you can learn more about Grace Vineyard and our vision for people everywhere to know and worship God.